Hi, it's Candia Raquel, founder of Centro de Poder. Welcome to the Sensual Sessions, the place to be to sense your fire and share your flame. Today we have a very special guest. This is Liz Brenner. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. So happy to have you here. And I was exploring your background and website and everything before this session. And I want to ask you, why were you teaching your first class when you were just 17 years old? Tell us, how was that moment? <laughs> well, it was, it was scary and it was also, it felt completely natural. So the, I was filling in for my ballet teacher, Carolyn Gracie Greer, who was an amazing, amazing person um, and a phenomenal teacher. One of those teachers who ended up, you know, a New York wonderful woman. Anyway, she got sick and she said to me, I need someone to teach. And can you teach the, the ladies class at 10? And can you teach the advanced, you know, sort of the upper class of teenagers at, uh, I think it was at 3.30. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I can. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's how that happened, yeah. And you could, was that a beginning of something? Yes. What changed and what happened afterwards? I mean, actually I had been, I had, I always was, Interest. I mean, my parents are both teachers, and my sister also was a teacher. And I was always interested in how teachers taught. And I was always very aware of how I felt in a class. I started ballet um, late. I was about 11 or 12, 12, I guess, when I started taking ballet lessons. But my very first dance teacher when I was six was an amazing woman named Martha Nishitani from Seattle, who taught a kind of Humphrey Weidman improvisation. She had been incarcerated in the camps, you know, the internment camps, and came back from that, still determined to do what she'd wanted to do since a child, which was bring modern dance to Seattle. And you have to understand, Seattle pre-World War II was a very small and very provincial place. Yes. And it's, it was, it, it stayed pretty small and provincial for a long time. And so she was really like, a, she was a messenger, you know? Yes. And her whole way of teaching was how we made circles, we made squares, you know, it was, it was completely oriented through how you felt. The form was secondary. She was interested in our bodies moving. And I'm so grateful that she was my first teacher because I looked for that Without knowing that's what I was looking for, I looked for that in every teacher after that. And because after that, I was just determined to be a ballerina. I ended up with a lot of that ballet training. You know, I mean, it's pretty common. I had a lot of ex-city ballet people. I had a lot of ballet roots people. I mean, it wasn't about movement. It was about how high you got your leg. So I'm so glad I had that underlying sense of, you know, what I'm looking for is the movement through my body yes. not you know the, the, i knew the form would come if i understood how the flow would happen through my body and she gave me that yeah the yeah. form as an outcome of, of the source yes yeah yeah the, yes 
So that's how I always taught. I mean, of course, you know, I, I wasn't that smart at 17. You know, I, I also was trying to make these people do it right in a much more sort of old fashioned way. But underneath it, I had a sense of, no, it has to be movement and it has to be enjoyable. Yeah. And, you know, that wasn't, that's not always so common in a ballet class. <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. It's all about the appearance, yeah. but appearance. It it, yeah, the, the good ballet dancers are having an, an ecstatic experience on the tip of their toes. The, the good ones. And that's how I believe technique should be sourced. And it made me also think on how sensuality, like culturally on our mother society and Vogue is so fetishized through the forms like, oh, get this sensual lingerie, so you're essential, or get these nails and eyelashes, so you're essential. And that's just the form. And I mean, there are ladies and guys who rock lingerie and the nails and everything, because those forms amplify an ex a, a source and expression. But otherwise, it's yeah. just the, the appearance, like, What you gonna do when you take the lingerie off? <laughs> the lingerie is gonna go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, I had a I had a really interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago because I was buying some new bras here in Amsterdam, and there was this great shop um, across the street from where I was having coffee, and so I went, oh, I should, let me check it out really beautiful, simple things, you know? So I went in and uh, she really helped. And then afterwards we were talking and I, see, I used to, I did pole dancing for a while in New York. Um, after I stopped doing ballet and teaching and all those kinds of things, I've had a very complicated career, but when I was in my, um, I must've been about 56 or 57 when I started taking pole dancing. And, um, and, It was so interesting to me, and this is what I told this woman in the lingerie shop, because there were so many women who did exactly that. They were like, okay, I'm taking pole dancing. That means I have to wear bright red lace or black lace or a corset or I have, you know, and you could tell immediately who was just inhabiting their body. And then it would be overwhelming to watch them and who was posing, right? <laughs> and it didn't matter how good, good their tricks were. I mean, it's like, I don't give a shit about the tricks, you know? It's like, are you in that body or not? And this lingerie shop owner said, she said, listen, I see this every day. I see people come in. They have an idea about what's going to make them look sexy for like their wedding night or whatever it is. And so they go for it and they put it on. And she said, you can tell by how their body reacts to it, whether or not it really makes them feel sexy or not, or if they're just putting on the costume they think they should be wearing exactly. I thought that was fascinating yeah. so yeah. interesting yeah don't wear sensuality as a costume because it's not a costume and won't make the trick so exactly how how to do the trick then what what will do the trick how what what ah, well will source you to, to the well of sensuality well I I mean You know what? You contacted me originally about um, one of my my later teachers, Nancy Top, yeah. and I would say, yeah, who <laughs> was such an amazing 
God, what a resource that woman was, you know, and she died really young. I, I think yes. she was about 58 when she died, you know, in the plane crash, that yes. Swiss Air plane crash. It was, it was really shocking. But to go back to the subject, to go back to the subject, what she gave me was, and I found it so interesting. We used to talk a lot um, about technique, right? Because she started off as a Cunningham dancer. She really wanted to be in the Cunningham company. And for some reason, he didn't want her, which I don't understand. But anyway, she danced, she danced with Viola Farber. She, I mean, she was an amazing dancer. But because you know, she didn't go that she wasn't like doing her dream traditional thing. She was open to exploration and um, which is always so interesting. Right. I mean, like how that works. So in the, I'm not sure when, I don't know exactly the time period, but I know that by like the very early seventies, around 71, she was working um, with a friend of hers and doing a lot of research into what she ended up calling dynamic anatomy. And when I was studying with her and in her certification program, um, you know, I was teaching ballet, I was performing a lot, I was um, choreographing, and I was working with highly technical dancers as I choreographed, but I was, I was, I was trying to deconstruct my own assumptions about movement, right? And, um, it was really hard for me to do. And so Nancy work, which was all based on, I mean, it was really like a two and a half hour meditation is what it was. You, you, I mean, you started off with, it was at least an hour on the floor and I would say 45 minutes just doing the initial kind of circular head things and ribs and because it was all about dropping yourself down into the reality of your bones right? Your bones and how could you work with your own weight against the weight of the gravity of the floor so that you could lengthen and so that you could really drop into, I mean, it was really kind of an altered state huh? mm -hmm. of, of being present inside your own, like I remember just realizing for the first time in my life, oh my God, I have an inside to my rib cage. Isn't that fascinating and how can I move from there so you know it was it was such amazing work and she worked with so many images you know you were always working with images and the movement and and her languaging was so precise you know and we would do these weekend workshops if you were in the certification program you had to do all of them I think there must have been 12 um and I remember there was one like one whole Saturday we just spent on the wrists and fingers and how and and really getting into how they actually move not how you think they move but what's actually and what are what are you thinking about how they move and what are you feeling and I mean I'm not doing it justice it was an amazing exploration of what actually happens in your body and she was super super focused on the psoas and on the iliopsoas, which were things I'd sort of heard. I mean, I had, I had amazing teachers in New York City. I studied for many, many years with Alfredo Corbino and his daughters, Andra and Ernesta. And I also taught for them. And I mean, Alfredo is one of, you could do a whole, I want to write a book about him just because I think he's one of the most brilliant men I've ever, and what a sweet, dear, wonderful person. But 
I mean, he was teaching ballet very much out of the Yost tradition because he had been a, a ballet dancer. I, I, I shouldn't go into all this, but anyway, so he was teaching very much from gravity, right? So his way of teaching, while it was completely and impeccably, I would say late 19th century, you know, it was really the kind of training that produced Karsavana and, and Pavlova and those people. He, I came to him later and I came to him without having really had any deep understanding of anatomy. I came to him having started ballet late and then put into like six year classes after six weeks of ballet. So I was constantly trying to do what I saw people doing around me without really understanding. So by the time I got to Alfredo, my nervous system was already busy with trying to do it right. And he was trying to get me to feel it and I couldn't. But with Nancy, I had time and I didn't have to do a pirouette. I just had to feel my sit bones connected to the floor, and which was radical. I mean, that was such a radical experience. And yeah, it, it totally changed my life. It changed my dancing and it changed my teaching and it changed my choreography because all of a sudden I was able to know for myself what it felt like to do technique from the inside out. It was like I suddenly understood that ballet really was built on the human body, yes. right? And then when I was teaching, I could give corrections that would let people, would help people to understand that. So I had these two incredible things, three. I had, I had Martha from the beginning. I had, actually I had Carolyn Gracie Greer's musicality. She was amazing. I had Alfredo's incredible body of technique, you know, in this highly classical way. And then I had Nancy you know, who gave me permission to feel my own body, gave me the information I needed. And then really a the last 45 minutes of the class was always improvisation. And it was usually on a very specific theme. And, and it was also about, well, if, if this is doing that, then that is doing, you know, the, the kind of questions and answers that Feldenkrais uses a lot. So it, it was just like putting all of this incredible material into action and, and it, it allowed me, as a choreographer, it allowed me to not make up steps, but to say, oh, I, I, I think that this particular color I want to paint with on the stage has this physical quality, and I think I'm doing it from this place. And then to experiment with my phenomenally open dancers and who were highly technical. So... It was an interesting thing of getting them out of their assumptions about what they should do and into their bodies. And then we would come up with these beautiful improvisations and then we'd have the huge problem of trying to turn them into something that they could replicate with the same sense of weight and surprise and timing, but do the same thing time after time after time. So that was a super long answer. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> no, that, that was a, a foundational answer for what's coming. So I... <laughs> I discovered Nancy through through Laura Rios here in Mexico, and that's why my functional skeleton has a pink psoas. <laughs> so it's it's very I love it. <laughs> right <laughs> in the core of the body, and it's there like silently, a skeleton hanging there in 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 the corner. And after like a few months of of teaching. Like I bring it up, like, have you noticed the, the skeleton? Yeah, of course. 
Have oh. you noticed it has something pink? And yeah, yeah, looks nice. <laughs> uh, and then we we introduce the idea of of the soas. So in in this way, at least for me in my teaching, it takes like a few context of form as a container to then go to the well of of to the well of technique and then spring and source like the experience from there and it's very important what you mentioned that Nancy Top provided you that was first of all time like like enough enough freedom to to move yourself away from the shoots and most and the the pressure of replicating a, a form the right way as other dancers so with this time mm -hmm. came came the the permission to sense and feel and the information and this is so valuable not only for ballet dancers or for movers but for life like at least at least give yourself the time the permission and the information because if you don't if you don't have the time the permission and the information from yourself available how are you gonna do what you want to do how are you gonna know how to do it so in regards yeah. to, to sensuality how tremendous is to to think of sensuality not not as wearing a lingerie putting something on but like going through this journey of time permission and information yeah. so how do you see sensuality there in amsterdam how how is it perceived <laughs> or or maybe is it, it is perceived by its absence <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think it's perceived by its absence, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, this is such a cliche, right? But I have spent a, a couple months in Italy recently, and um, just the way Italian waiters are about food, like Italian waiters want to go on this little journey with you about what you're eating, right? They're like, If you are saying, I want something specific, they're thrilled, you know, they're just like, oh, yes. And then you need this wine and then you need this, you know, and it's this whole like thing and you don't rush, you know, you're there and no matter how busy and crowded the restaurant is, it's a, it's a whole thing in Holland. <laughs> <laughs> first of all <laughs> the service is terrible you know it's so awful there's no sense of that this is a shared sort of adventure around taste right there's none of that at all no boy you know, like, <laughs> I mean the the food's gotten a little better than it was when I first lived here for the first time you know, 20 years ago, but, but, but the attitude is not that different. You know, it's functional. It's like food is functional. And, and in Italy, it's, it's, oh, it's just such an enjoyment of the moment, you know? Yes. So yeah, I think, I think, I think there's that, but you know, I also think that there, there's a difference between pretty much everywhere I've been in Europe and the United States, 
in terms of a sense of how like the daily life, like meeting a friend for coffee, which is such a common thing all over Europe, you know, and there's cafes everywhere and even countries, even countries like Germany or, you know, places you don't necessarily think of as cafe culture. They have cafe culture. I mean, this is just part of life that you, you will enjoy. You will sit down with a friend that work will end at five or five thirty, and then you're going to enjoy no matter what the weather is. In the US, we, we are, we have none of this. We are so focused on, well, actually, I think at this point, we're as a country, the country is pretty much in a state of constant stress and terror. But, um, but you know, it, the, the, fact, I, the fact is that people are busy in a way, in busy, they're both busy and they think they should be busy in a way that doesn't allow for much sensuality. Yes. You really have to decide that you're going to go looking for that. And one of the reasons I'm very clear on this is because um, I did some work with, I did, I, I did a course with this woman who calls Mama Gina, Mama Gina Mama, School yeah. of Womanly Arts. Have you heard of Mama Gina? Yeah, I've heard of her. <laughs> so the thing about her is she, she, you know, her whole thing is what's pleasure? What are you doing? You know, how are you, how have you been trained as a woman living in the patriarchy? How have you been trained out of having pleasure? How can you find it again? Where is it in your life? You know, and when I encountered her, I had stopped dancing. I was spending most of my time living in Seattle, um, selling my family house because my father died suddenly. My mother had Alzheimer's. I was taking care of my mother. I mean, it was, I, I was... Hard. Going into menopause. I was going into menopause. My body felt terrible. It was awful. There was no pleasure or joy anywhere that I could see. And and a friend of mine in New York said, come with me to Miami. I'm like, Miami? I don't want to go to Miami. Miami. She's like, no, come with me. <laughs> we're we're going to be on the beach and we're going to do this free weekend with this woman, Mama Gina. And I'm like, anything to get out of Seattle. <laughs> so I went and I was and I was like, Oh my God, I'm dancing again, you know, cause she does a lot of dancing and I was just like dancing, you know, and walking on the beach barefoot and not having to worry about my mother and not having to, you know, like, yeah. and I thought, I thought, you know what? Yeah. I need to pursue this because otherwise yes. I'm going to lose my life entirely. Yes. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Because sensuality is not, just the lingerie is the expression of aliveness, the the expression of of being healthy in your body, alive and involved in reality creatively. And I think we should take care of that, and we should should take it back because it's our it's our birthright. Pleasure is our birthright. So, yeah. so important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And so interesting to to see how also in Mexico we are busy, but we are busy on an inefficient and on an unavailable way because, I mean, Europeans mm. are highly productive and highly efficient people and very goal-oriented and sharp. And 
it's it's interesting to to examine busy being busy and the mentality of busyness and it's it's not more productive but on the contrary it's it's detrimental and on the other hand uh the service of the waiters in holland it's like more functional now like yeah like like transactional and in in these three contexts of italy and the functionality of of amsterdam and the business of of the states the main difference i perceive it's the how you do what you do how how you get get your point across do your do your everyday activities live your life so in regards to that i would like you to share with us a little exercise taste of, or experience or something to connect to our sensuality in our daily life like serving a dish if you're a waiter or going to work or like be sensual no matter your business or your agenda how can you like dance from the source even if you're dancing a hectic very speedy choreography well that's interesting so i also um have been a meditator for now about 25 years and i i'm certified to teach a certain kind of practice and and i've kind of i've made that my own and one of the things that i love to do is to ask people to close their eyes and put both hands on their heart flat you know so one hand rests on the other and so as you do that just let the weight of your hands really sink into your front ribs there or the whatever that is the uh, yeah the sternum Just take a deep breath in and let it out. Now feel your feet on the floor. It's always good to feel your feet on the floor. And then feel your sit bones on the chair or the cushion or whatever it is you're sitting on. And just breathe and feel your hands rising and falling and if you hear any sounds just open your ears to the sounds they're there like your breath like your hands like the floor like battery or not battery like uh, sorry gravity just letting all that reality happen around you and see if you can sink feel like you're sinking your eyes all the way down into your heart behind your hands and just rest there for a moment ah and just letting yourself take a nice breath in and slowly opening your eyes and dropping your hands. Uh, I'm home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it brings you home very fast. Yeah. 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 Very effective. 
Thank you so much, Liz. Would you oh, describe, you're welcome. Would you describe in three words what you're sensing in this moment? I'm sensing gravity, actually. I'm sensing how supported I am by the earth. Um, I'm having some delight because there's some bird that's just talking and talking and talking in the tree. And um, I'm enjoying the warmth on my skin because it's that rare thing in Amsterdam. It's a very warm day. <laughs> oh, Where can we know more about your doings and your work? How can we contact you? Um, well, I have a website that's a bit in process, but it is going to be my central website. And it's just my name. It's uh, L-I-S-E-B-R-E-N-N-E-R.com. And um, I'm, I'm going to link my the Lise Brenner creative website to that eventually. And uh, I'm, I'm launching a new business as a, as a writing consultant. Um, and I'm using these kinds of practices and, and a sense of improvisatory freedom as a way to help people with all kinds of writing projects. I've been doing this for many years, but I'm, I'm putting it together into real programs. So lisbrenner.com is where you can find out about everything. Go to lisbrenner.com and contact Liz Brenner. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure talking to you and enjoying this experience of the heart and getting a, a sense of your trajectory too. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you. I hope we uh, can talk more in yeah. the future. Yeah, do more things together. So for the you know, you know where to find Liz. And if you don't know where to find the Central Sessions, go to centraldepolar.com and make sure to subscribe to the Central emails to get every episode delivered to your email weekly. And this is for now. Catch you next time. And remember to take the time to sense your fire so you can share the flame. <laughs>